0: Well, this is the second message in a series that we are calling the really good news. And I started last week by differentiating between good news and really good news. And I like to start there again just to get your minds focused. Good news tends to be physical, temporal, circumstantial, and personal. It's immediate in its impact. You know, like you get a raise from your boss or something like that. It's immediate impact, but with a limited duration. You're you're not going to celebrate it for the next 10, 20, 30 years of your life. So that's good news. Good news is good. We all need it. We all like it. We all want it. But really good news is different and far better. Really good news, first of all, it's spiritual, not temporal. It's eternal. It's experiential. It works inside of us. It's universal. It's not just good for me. It's good for everyone else in the world. And it's immediate in its impact like other good news, but it has an unlimited duration. In other words, really good news is something that can impact me now in a positive way, but it can also continue the impact for the next month, the next year, frankly, through the rest of my life. And that's why we're calling it really, really good news. Now, in Scripture, this, this word, good news, it's, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and it's translated, it's a Greek word called euangelion, and it's translated nearly 100 times as either the word gospel, and in some newer translations, as good news. And frankly, the word good news, or the two words good news, are better translation of what that Ewangelion word means. So when we come to Scripture, we find that sometimes it says that the gospel, or the good news, is about God Himself. Last week we covered that, that there's something new that's been revealed about God. And when you know it, when you understand it, when you internalize it, it's really good news this week we're going to see the scripture says that when it comes to jesus christ there's a unique body of really good news associated with him so let's show let me show you where i mean Uh, i'm just going to read you don't have to turn or anything but i'm reading from the gospel of mark chapter one verse one it says the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god we could say the beginning of the good news of or about jesus christ the son of god so What is the unique good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Well, let me read you something. This comes from um, a message that was given in 1926. I was just a little kid then. No, I was not there then. Not that old. (laughs) But back in 1926, a guy named Dr. James Allen Francis gave this message. I'm going to read you a portion of it, and some of you are going to be very familiar with what you hear. You're going to say, oh, I've heard that before. So let me just start. Dr. Francis said this. He said, A child is born in an obscure village. He's brought up in another obscure village. He works in a carpenter shop until he is 30, and then for three brief years is an itinerant preacher, proclaiming a message and living a life. He never writes a book. He never holds an office. He never raises an army. He never has a family of his own. He never owns a home. He never goes to college. He never travels 200 miles from the place where he was born. He gathers a little group of friends about him and teaches them his way of life. While still a young man, the tide of popular feelings turn against him. One denies him, another betrays him. He's turned over to his enemies. He goes through the mockery of a trial. He is nailed to a cross between two thieves and when dead is laid in a borrowed grave by the kindness of a friend. Those are the facts of his human life. He rises from the dead. Today we look back across 1900 years and ask, what kind of trail has he left across the centuries? When we try to sum up his influence, all the armies that have ever marched, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned are absolutely picayune in their influence on mankind compared to, with that one of this one solitary life. And that's how many of us would remember that. You see it on Christmas cards a lot. It's called One Solitary Life. Curious how many have ever seen it before? You think you've heard it. Uh, There are different versions of it. This is the actual original version. So why would the life of some peasant carpenter who lived nearly 2,000 years ago in a, in a little bitty place that was dominated by the roman empire why would we set our calendars today by his coming into the world i mean why it what was so special what is the unique good news about this person that we call jesus of nazareth why are we sitting here today because of somebody ever think about this somebody that lived two thousand years ago you never seen him you never heard him and yet here we are we're all sitting here, hearts and minds, I hope wide open, hoping to get some new glimpse, glimpse some new nuance, some understanding of him and, and what he says is true about himself and about life. So we have to ask the question, first of all, who is he? The New Testament gives us clarity about who he is, who he was, and always will be. It says that Christ is the visible image of the what? The invisible God. So here, here we have... A, wide open picture. The good news is that the creator of the universe, the one that created and sustains the universe, came to this planet and opened himself to be known in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That's really good news because we can read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four good newses, and find out what God is really like in human terms by just getting close to Jesus of Nazareth. It says... He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. It goes on. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Well, what are the things we can't see? Things such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen realm. We're talking about entire civilizations angelic civilizations governments hierarchies and jesus created them just as he created us it says everything was created through him and then this last phrase is so important what does it say for him him. that means until you put your name in that until i put my name in that it doesn't have much meaning but it's saying you were created by jesus christ and you were created for jesus christ And just like a fish is meant for water, you were meant for Christ. I was meant for Christ. I'll never be fully human and fully alive until I'm united with my creator. You were meant to live united with your creator. You were made by him and you were made for him. One more verse expands this a bit. It says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of who? God in a human body. Everything that can be known about God, we can find it in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is God saying, I want to reveal to the whole universe who I am in a way that the universe has never been able to take in before. And so this is really good news because we know a lot about Jesus in the way that he conducted himself. So let's start by asking this. How does he feel about us? We are emotional creatures. There's no denying that. We we really derive the quality of our life based on our feelings, our emotions. Without our emotions, life would have not much quality at all. We, we love excitement. We love the feeling of being cared for and respected and loved especially. I mean, let me just go back a little bit. How many of you guys can remember Way, 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 way back, man, maybe when you were just little teeny boppers, you know, that first time you ratcheted up your nerve, you know, and you decided you're going to tell some boy, some girl that you like them, you know, not, not like like a friend, but you like them, like them. How many remember that? And man, you're scared, you're scared. And, that, and here's the way we did it back in my day. We had these things, so you call them telephones and you talked into them. You didn't, you didn't do this. I know it's prehistoric, but we used to, we used to, we had these devices, we talked into them. And so what you do, you call that girl, you know, that you, you were going to ratchet up your nerve. And you'd have your buddy talk to her, though. And your buddy would say, uh, you, you know Randy? And, and she'd say, yeah. And he'd say, what do you like Randy? <laughs> well, how do you mean? Like a friend? And I'd be like, no, no. Or do, you like, or do you like him like him? Well, what you wanted to hear was, you, I like him, like him, you know. And if you can remember back, the very first experience you had like that, when somebody liked you, liked you, you know, you can't explain it. It just overloaded all your circuits, all your emotional circuits. It was, it was like dope, man. It was euphoric. You, you, <laughs> why? Why is this? Because we are emotional creatures made in the image of God, made by Christ and for Christ. This tells us our God. Our God is emotional. He's feeling oriented as we are. And for you and I to know how he feels. First of all, that he does feel and how he feels for us. I'm telling you, it's powerful and transformational. But it's extremely hard to get down inside of us and live in light of it. I'm going to just take you through a few passages of Scripture that will just remind us from Jesus, you know, how He, our Creator, really feels about human beings. Let's look at them quickly. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When He saw the crowds, He was what? Deeply moved. We're talking emotion here. This is Jesus, the creator of the universe. He sees the crowds of people, and He's emotional about them. He feels deeply about them. It says He was deeply moved with what kind of emotion? Compassion. Nothing but concern, nothing but empathy, nothing but goodwill. Because, was it because they were so good and they were trying so hard and they were so perfect and so moral and so upright? No, the description of them is because they were what? Troubled. Troubled. Man, if that was a job description, I could get that job. I'm your man. You want somebody troubled? I'm troubled. I'm your guy. Because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at you, at I, at all people, people who are imperfect, people who are broken, people who are confused, people who are troubled, and sometimes feel helpless to do anything about it. And he feels nothing but compassion for us, nothing but deep sympathy and empathy for us. He feels, and when you and I can feel that he feels this way about us, I'm telling you, it elevates the quality of your life. It starts a transformational process. Let's look at another In Luke 15, it says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners, yeah, I can get that job description too, were coming to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, these were the religious elites of Jesus' day, they were complaining, This man welcomes who? Sinners. And he eats with them. To eat with somebody in those biblical days, it was to show full identification. It was to say, that's my man. I identify with them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm their person. I'm in their life. Jesus fully identified with the people that the religious elites of his day said, those are the scum of the earth, man. They're, they're the sinners. They're, they're, the, they're the outcasts. They're the people you shouldn't be with. The religious leaders were more religious than God. How ironic is that? What does this tell us, though, about the feelings of our God for people? Sinners, the worst people, people like me and like you. He says he likes us. He likes us. I think we have a hard time with that one. I think that it's easy for us, particularly we that are, you know, church-oriented. It's easy for us to kind of think in terms of, "Oh, God so loved the world," and we can kind of put ourselves in mass in the world, you know, kind of generic. Yeah, he, I know He loves me. I know He loves me. But I think we have trouble believing He likes us. That with all of our imperfection, with all of our hang-ups, that He'd literally like to do lunch with us. He'd like to ride down the road with us, even when you have those bad gestures going on. He'd like to be there beside you. We'd probably curtail a little bit of that. <laughs> he likes you. I don't know about you. That's a hard one for me a lot of times. It's hard for me to like me, much less to envision the Jesus, our God, our creator, he likes me, and he likes me with full knowledge of who I am. Everything about me, everything about you. And when you and I can let that sink into our hearts, it starts, starts to change us, it starts to change who we are. Here's another one. In Luke 5, 31 it says, Jesus answered them. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have not come to get those who think they are right with God to follow me. He was talking again about those religious elites. They thought they were right with God. They thought they were God's specials. In fact, they were further from God than the ordinary people whose hearts were humble and open. He says, I have come to get what kind of people? Sinners Sinners to do what? Turn Turn away from their sins. Now, why would Jesus want sinners to turn away from their sins. Could, could it be that that sin is just something that is never ever good for me, whether I understand it or not? We'll talk about that a little more in a bit. What I wanna do now is I wanna give you a bit of a summation, and, and we have actually, these four statements that I'm gonna share with you in a minute, we've, um, we didn't give this in the first service, so they they missed out on it. But we've now printed these up for you, and if you want these four statements, and I highly advocate that you consider getting them when you leave here's what i'm hoping that you'll take these four statements and you'll read them maybe once or twice a day for the next 30 days until they start to sink into your heart let me share them with you they're based on those verses we just read the really good news is that christ is first of all emotionally affectionate but he's not emotionally indifferent Sometimes I think we have an image of God that he's just sort of this stoic, objective being. You know, yeah, he loves us. And he kind of loves everybody in this kind of generic way. But that's not who God is. Jesus demonstrated God is full of emotion. He's full of passion. He feels for us. And we need that. We crave to know that the greatest person in the universe, the most perfect person in the universe, the one that created and sustains it, that he looks at us and he likes us and he feels compassion for us and that he loves us and he doesn't have any harsh will or feelings toward us. We need to live every day with that feeling that God feels loving and affectionate toward me. And when you and I allow that to sink in, I'm telling you, it's a powerful, transforming thing. Secondly, he's kind and compassionate. He's not critical and condemning. Some of us, we've, we've inherited somehow, maybe from something, place we've been taught or maybe from a family situation. We, we have this picture of God that's always looking for the fault, always looking for our slip-ups. He's always critical. He's always saying, you didn't run fast enough. You didn't jump high enough. Look what you did there. Why didn't you do this here? Critical, condemning. And that kind of a God makes us want to distance ourselves, and we're afraid. But that's not the kind of God that Jesus revealed. He was this kind. He was kind, and he was compassionate. Remember, he saw the multitudes that were troubled and helpless, and he said he, he felt deeply moved with compassion, not criticism. Deeply moved with compassion. No condemnation. Third, our God is warm and welcoming. He says that he welcomes sinners. He was criticized because he welcomes sinners. He's warm and welcoming. He's not cold and rejecting. Rejection Is one of the most painful things that we as human beings can experience. We can't exactly explain why it hurts so bad to be rejected, but we all know that it does. Why could that be? Maybe it's because we were made by a loving creator who wants us to know we're always welcome, we're always wanted, and we are someday going to live in a community where everybody will welcome us and warmly want us to be a part of their life forever. Jesus, our God, feels that way welcoming and warm toward us not cold and rejecting and then finally he's gentle and he's persuasive he's not intimidating and coercive remember it says that that jesus said that you know it's the sick people that need a physician not the well he says i've come to call sinners to turn away from their sins like a doctor wants us to turn away from things that are injuring our health he is not intimidating and coercive, but some of us have received versions of God like that too. He's a God to be feared. He's a God to, that threatens. He's a God that forces and coerces. And, and we're always asking ourselves questions. W- what, what do you have to do? What, what are the rules? Uh, what do you have to do to please him? You know, what, what is it that we are required to do? The notion is, is that a God is somebody we have to appease. We have to figure a way to get him off of our back and on our side, but that's not, that's not the real God. Jesus reveals to us the real God and he's gentle and he's persuasive even when he's trying to get us to turn away from our sins he's gentle and he reasons with us he's persuasive with us so these four statements again we'll we have those out in the lobby I believe you might want to grab those we go because in the message I'll bring this suggested thought back again so we know pretty well now how he feels about us and he does feel about you and when you and I start to accept that he feels about us, the next thing that's important to know is, what does he desire for us? I mean, really, what, what is his intention? What, what would he like to see happen in our lives? Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John chapter 10, he said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. But my purpose, my purpose is to give them a what? A rich and what? Rich and satisfying life. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't want that. Every human being that's ever lived, ever will live, wants a rich and satisfying life. We're made in the image of God. We, We are just naturally drawn toward a rich and satisfying life. And Jesus says that's exactly what he wants to give us. And he meant in this present world, with all of its danger, with all of its darkness, with all of its imperfection, he's saying that you can still have a rich and a satisfying life and that he wants to give us that now now here's the key he can't just magic magically induce this on us it's it's a cause and effect kind of thing let me read you this next verse and it'll make more sense the apostle paul writing he says what i say is true and all the world should receive it christ jesus came into the world to save who Sinners. sinners now if we stop there that's good news that's really good news but it doesn't stop there to save sinners from what What if the only way that Jesus can give us a rich and satisfying life, what if the only way we can have a rich and satisfying life is to allow Jesus to show us what is depriving us of a rich and satisfying life and then wait gently and persuasively in hopes that we will let go of what is depriving us of a rich and satisfying life, meaning sin. Let let me, let me give you the illustration supposing that uh there was this this uh ancient kind of stone age tribe living in the amazon and you go there you're a medical missionary and you study them and you want to you want to bless them and you want to bring god's love to them and all this kind of thing but you notice that everybody in this tribe they're dying like in their 30s and you notice that when they're only like 14, they, they are prematurely aging. They look so much older than they are, and you find out that they're, they're eating all their food from this one river. They get their drinking water from this river. They eat their food from the river. You find out. You're a medical missionary. You find out this thing is highly contaminated. It's toxic, and it's causing them to age prematurely and to die regularly at age 30. They don't know any better. They're, they're you know, primitive culture. They don't know that people should live longer than 30. And, and I'll give you a picture of them to show you how they age prematurely to show you what I mean. that's 14 year olds there (laughs) that water man that water was tearing them up so so you're a medical missionary and you go and, and, and now the really good news you have to give them is that man they can live a rich and satisfying life they can be much more healthy they can live twice the age that they're living now but the bad news is They've got to forsake the river. They love the river. They love the fish in the river. You can always get plenty to eat in the river easy. They love just going down and drinking some of that water. They've been doing it for generation after generation. Now you're coming and telling them, we've got to give up the river. You're telling me that my life is going to be more rich and more satisfying. If I give up the river, the river is where I've been deriving my life from. And yet, you would be telling the truth. And you would try to gently persuade them, hey, grow some vegetables. Uh, let me give you some chickens. We'll, we'll give you some chickens. We'll, we'll drill a well for you. We'll, we'll get you some clean water. You know, get some cattle. Try, try living differently. You would try to persuade them gently and lovingly to live differently because you know that they can't have a rich and satisfying life unless they will change. And Jesus says he wants to save us from our sins, to turn us from our sins. I don't know, man. I, I, did you guys did you catch this episode of The Bachelorette this week? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> How many watch The Bachelorette? Yeah, I've never watched it. <laughs> never, never. But if you do, that's all right. <laughs> but I did read an article about The Bachelorette this week. The uh, Bachelorette claims openly to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Um, but a very controversial episode recently occurred. And, and I'll, I'll just let you view it for yourself. Regardless of any thing that I've done... Uh, it that people might think oh well that deserves a scarlet letter that's not how it works like I can do whatever I sin daily and Jesus still loves me like it's all washed and do not and if the Lord doesn't judge me and it's all forgiven then no other man woman animal, anything, (laughs) I don't know, anything can judge me. Nobody's judging Hannah B. Nobody's going to judge me. I won't stand for it. I'm going to speak my mind about it. Well, what she was talking about was that she was having sex with some of the other bachelors that want to win her love. And she was being challenged by one of the men who is also a Christian saying that that's not God's will. And you could see her reaction. You know, I can do whatever. (laughs) I sin. I sin daily, and Jesus still loves me. Well, you know what, man? I, I, I could drink Drano, and Jesus still loves me, but I'm a fool. I mean, you know, God sets these, <laughs> he, say, he sets these boundaries up for us, not to deprive us, not to restrict us, because he knows how he built us. We're made in his image. And certain things, whether we know it, recognize it, feel it, they are destructive to us. They start a deterioration process. We we don't know how much we don't know about how finely tuned we are inwardly. And when we knowingly or unknowingly break the laws of our design, which God calls sin, we pay a consequence. And generally speaking, those around us will pay a consequence too because of the modification it makes on us. And, And so what if... In order for Jesus to give us this rich and satisfying life, the only possible way that we can have it is we must be willing to forsake the contaminated water. Stop eating the contaminated fish. Stop practicing the things that God says are sin. They're not good for you. They'll never be good for you. They're never good for our world. Listen to this verse from 1 John. 1 John five nineteen it says, We know, he's talking about ordinary Christians, not perfect, but those that have put their trust in Christ and made the decision to follow him fully, freely, and forever. He says, We know that we are the children of God, and the world around us is under the control of who? The evil one. He's talking about the whole world. Well, how, how does the evil one control the whole world? I mean, are people walking around, Satan, Lord, Satan, what would you have us to do? Oh, well, we know better than that. I mean, you know. A lot of people are not Christ followers, they're, they're your, your, your friends, your work associates, they're nice people, cool people, but according to this verse, without them knowing it, they are under the control, the influence of the evil one. Well, how, how does this work? Well, earlier John gives us a little bit more clarity about this. He says, the one who practices, what is the word? Sin. The one who practices sin is of what? Yeah. Meaning they're in league with the devil, in union with the devil, without even knowing it. they're under the influence of the devil. They're practicing self-destructive things. They don't even know it because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus, was what? Revealed. God has now completely revealed himself to the entire universe, angelic and human, in Jesus particularly when he went to the cross. Now the whole universe knows that our God, our creator, although he is almighty, he is sacrificially loving to all that he's created. He is utterly trustworthy. He is good through and through. There is no selfishness in him. He needs nothing from us. He wants to give everything to us. He is utterly trustworthy, and now we know that, which destroys the works of the devil because the devil's works are based on his slandering of god it goes way back to the garden of eden you know you've read the story you know adam and eve are having a wonderful life wonderful relationship with god wonderful relationship with each other perfect environment happy healthy beautiful and then all of a sudden this entity this dark entity comes into the garden and says you know that tree that that god said if you eat of it you're going to die he says he was lying to you man you're not going to die if you eat that tree you eat that tree you're going to be like god yourself He's just holding back. He, he needs you to stay dumb and weak. He, his ego is kind of, you know, weak, and he, he needs you always jumping up and saying, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so wonderful, I need you, I need you. But if you eat of that tree, you can be, read it on your own. Genesis 3, you eat of that tree, you can be like God yourself. And they bought it. They believed that God couldn't be trusted, that he was a liar, that he had a weak ego, that he needs to have everybody under his thumb. And that lie, that distortion of God's character has permeated the human race, and because we as a race, as a species, distrust God, then the result is we disobey God, and when we disobey God, we get the present world that we live in now, because when we disobey God, we're just disobeying the laws of our being. We're self-destructing, and the social destruction that we live with is, is just the evidence of it, So when it says that Jesus, by by his revelation, is destroying the works of the devil, he is showing that God is now trustworthy, and that when he calls something sin, it's because with perfect love and perfect wisdom, he's saying, this will hurt you, my people. Don't drink the water if you want a rich and satisfying life. Don't eat the fish. Change. Change. That's what he's saying. So how does he feel about us? He feels nothing but positive affection and compassion He welcomes us warmly. He persuades us gently. And what does he want to to do for us? He really wants us in this life, in this tough world, to have a rich and a satisfying life. But he can't give it to us unless we'll receive it in terms of reality, which means excluding destructive practices from our life. Let me close the story about a lady and show her a picture up there. Her name is Liz Curtis Higgs. Looks like somebody's cookie-baking grandma, huh? She's a Christian writer, and some of you ladies have probably read some of her books. How about Bad Girls of the Bible? Anybody read that? There you go. Some guys read it too. I don't know about why they read it, (laughs) but probably for a bad reason. They never mind. Anyway, um, she's written 14 Christian books and had quite a wonderful life as a Christ follower and a Christian communicator. She does a lot of talks and things like that. But here's what most people may not know about her: There was a time this lady was one of the most popular disc jockeys in America. And she had the PM show on a radio station that Howard Stearns had, the AM show. And they were kind of equal in popularity. She was a wild and woolly. That that little cookie-bacon grandma was not always that. And so literally one time, she walked into the studio and Howard Stearns, Howard Stearns said to her, he said, Liz, you've got to clean up your act. Now how bad, how bad do you have to be if Howard Stearns tells you, you got to clean up your act. And she she admits when you read her stuff that she uh, she was pretty wild, pretty wild, you know. Had a lot of experiences with men and drugs and all that kind of thing and um, was burned by a lot of men and became kind of like a feminist, ultra-feminist, militant feminist, uh, male hater type, you know. And so this was her life, and she was kind of the shock jock along with Howard Stern. But she had this girlfriend of hers that was a Christian, a Christ follower. And you know how we do, we Christians, we just keep nibbling. like We're like the little dog at the heel, just keep nibbling, nibbling. Come, I want you to come to church with me. I want you to come to church with me. I want you to come to church with me. Come on, I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you lunch. Come to church with me. You buy, you know, I'll buy you dinner. Come to my house afterward. Just come, come to church. Come to church. Because we want so desperately for people to know the truth about God in life. Anyway, she got sick of it, and Liz Curtis finally said, I'll go one time. I will go one time with you, okay? She says, fine, fine, fine. So she goes to church with her Christian friend. Take a guess at what the pastor was preaching on. How about this? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 22. But he went on in the text and he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. Well, when Liz heard this, she elbowed her Christian friend. She said, if I could ever find a man who loved me enough to die for me, I'd give myself to him, thinking that she had her Christian friend, you know. Christian friend turned to her. She said, Liz, man already has died for you. His name is Jesus. He's the creator of the whole universe, and that's how much he loves you. She had never experienced that affection. The affection of the creator of the universe affected her in her heart and started a slow process that, as you can see, completely transformed her life, making her the Christian author, the Christian speaker, the Christian servant of God and people that she has been now for probably 30 or more years. Listen, this is a transforming thing. If we can know how good the news is about Jesus Christ, he feels so wonderful for us and about us. If we can just internalize that. Let me make a suggestion. I I had those four statements I put on the screen. I told you they're in the lobby. One way you and I can start to feel the feelings that Jesus has for us is to remind ourselves daily. Why don't you think about grabbing one of those as you go out. Read it once or twice a day for 30 days, 60 days, whatever it takes until you start to really feel that euphoric love of God that He has for you all the time. Second thought, some of us, we know, we know we're eating the contaminated fish. We know exactly what they are. We know we're drinking the contaminated water. We know exactly what the practices are. Why not let Jesus persuade you gently but powerfully today to let those things go so that He can give you the rich and satisfying life that can only be had when we completely let go of those self-destructive things and maybe some of us for the first time today are given thought in a world where everybody's following somebody we're either following ourselves or some other philosopher or philosophy but maybe today we realize i want to follow jesus i made that decision at age 23 i've never regretted it i've regretted a lot of things i've never regretted that why don't you do what i did at age 23 put your trust in christ become his follower And you will see for yourself he can give the rich and satisfying life that he promised, even in this tough world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this really, really good news. We're especially thankful that it it doesn't end. It just gets better. May your kingdom come and your will be done soon. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name.